The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey everybody, welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. This is John Zink. And I'm honored today to be joined by an old friend of mine, Tony McCombie. And uh, she is coming to us from Savannah, Illinois, right? Yes, Northwest Illinois corner. My old stomping grounds. So uh, Tony is uh, a member of the House of Representatives, uh, District 71 in Illinois. So w- what does that encompass? So uh, really, it's Northwest Illinois. So basically, for folks that that are probably watching you from California, basically on the border of Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, and follow the river um, south to the Quad Cities and over to uh, Sterling Rock Falls. So I have parts of four counties, which I thought was a really vast geographical area until you meet the folks from down south in, in Illinois. And they have parts of nine and 11 counties. So I, I don't complain anymore about my parts of four counties. <laughs> well, let, let me just uh, change something up for you. It's not going to be a bunch of people from California. There's going to be a ton of people from Illinois, mostly from Mount Carroll, Savannah, and that whole area. I posted Good. something on Facebook and everybody's like, oh, my God, I love Tony. This is great. So uh, I appreciate you being here. So just for everybody to know, 2021 started your third term. You were elected by your House peers to be chairperson of the House Republican organization, and you're the first ever woman chair. That's correct. That's correct. That is awesome. Yeah, but I would like to think that I was I was picked because I was the best, not because I was a woman. No, uh, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Come on. So born and raised in Savannah, Illinois, and uh, husband, uh, Kurt Hockman. And uh, just to let everybody know, I grew up with Kurt. He was much younger than me. Not much younger. I'm not that old. But um, his mom and dad uh, were two of my favorites. Uh, Delbert was a police officer in Mount Carroll. And I saw him quite often, but not for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Delbert was one of the good guys. And uh, then you guys also have a dog named Molly. Yes, yes. And you might hear her. She might do a, uh, a cameo for you. We'll see. That's cool. We were just doing, uh, we did a podcast with Emerson Hart. He's a lead singer at Tonic. And uh, he was right in the middle of one of his songs and all of a sudden, ruff, ruff, ruff. You're so, not going to make a thing today, are you? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I grew up about the same time. When did you graduate from high school? 90. 90. Me too. Yep. There was nothing that rhymed with 9-0. Yeah, 90 90 90 <laughs> So uh, I knew your mom, Georgia, even prior to knowing you, because my dad, Rich Zink, would take me out to different restaurants and uh, bars and all kinds of stuff around Savannah. And uh, I think that uh, your mom, Georgia, worked at Ann's Cafe. She did. She did uh, for quite some time. And actually, I then... Uh, she got me a job there as well and told me not to screw it up. And I worked there 
every day after school, uh, four to eight. <laughs> well, you, you are the spinning image of your mom. Well, you know, now when she was alive, I was offended by that, but now I love it. <laughs> well, it, it's a compliment. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> just for everybody's, uh, transparency here, whenever I do a podcast, I, I send out a questionnaire to everybody and, uh, one of the things that you used as an adjective to talk about your mom was you called her spicy. And I said that was the perfect definition of Georgia. Um, you said she passed at 55, right? Mm -hmm. What happened to her? Well, um, she lived every day of her life. Uh, like I, I, you know, like we all should. Um, however, she um, happened to have uh, one too many uh, drinks and cigarettes in her lifetime. And she got throat cancer mm. and uh, probably would have been easily remedied had she had her voice box removed. Mm. But she chose uh, to try chemo and radiation because she said her voice was uh, that's all she had. And knowing my mom and anybody that's watching this would say she certainly had a voice. Uh, so for her, she opted for that. And that was her choice. And then uh, she, she battled that for about five years. Well, I'm sure that everybody from back there in Northwest Illinois is going to uh, like hearing about her because I'm sure, as I do and you do, mostly you, uh, but everybody else too, misses her because she was uh, a big figure around Savannah and Mount Carroll and that whole area. And uh, I always enjoyed seeing her wherever I went because she put a smile on my face and you could also get away with no shit when Georgia was around. Yes, I do know this as well. <laughs> yeah, no, she, she, was, she was a great lady. She had a big heart. She was very tough. Uh, I'll kind of tell you a, a funny story. And I know a lot of people know this story, but she lived with Kurt and I uh, the last six, seven months of her, her life. And, um, you know, she and I, as probably most mothers and daughters do, fight and argue and uh she was always right. And I was always right. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you get smacked in the mouth for being smart, you say, I'm going to call DCFS and she hands you the phone and says, call. <laughs> but she was at home and, um, pretty vulnerable. She was, you know, 80 pounds and pretty sick and had have a good day and a bad day. And I knew it was like her, her last, couple days. Right. And I'm laying in bed with her and she's, you know, resting in and out and I'm reading a book and I look over at her and I think to myself, I'm going to ask my mom a question. I've been, I, I want to know. And, uh, I think she's going to say what I want to hear. So I say to mom, I say, do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets at, you know, how you, how you raised me, you know, how, you know, our arguments, do you have, do you have any regrets in how you lived your life? And she goes, looks at me, not a crack of a smile. And she goes, not an F and one. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, you're going to be a B to your dying day. <laughs> and then she smiled. And oh, yeah. you know, that was her way of saying, of course, she has regrets, but no reason to rehash them now. And yeah. uh, she did. She did all right. She did all right. She raised a, some good kids and. None of us are in jail and we all have jobs and we all work hard. So I think she did all right. That's awesome. I appreciate you talking about her. Um, now, you were in Savannah and I was in Mount Carroll. And uh, even though they're only 10 miles apart, 
it's like a world away when you grow up in that small and it's so funny growing up in a small town because for me and Mount Carroll all I dreamed about was going to Savannah and hanging out <laughs> you know the big town of Savannah and uh Mount Carroll Hawks against the Savannah Indians that was uh the school mascots that was always a rivalry and uh now were you a good student going to high school going to grammar school that kind of stuff yeah it was decent it wasn't as easy as it was for my older brother uh that's for sure um but easier than my youngest brother uh i I think i missed the honor society by like a tenth of a point which really ticked me off because i really wanted the you know the the gold braids you know when we're going through um but i did all right the college was a little tougher um, but you have a lot more freedom in college. So, um, right. you know, that going to class thing, that's a real thing. You know? <laughs> so were you an athlete? No, um, in junior high, I played volleyball, basketball. Uh, no, I did play after graduation and after I was a grown up softball over in Preston, Iowa, if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it counted for a lot of people, uh, a yeah. lot, a lot of draft beer and a lot of pizza. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But no, not too much. I, I worked, you know, like I said, I worked every day, four to eight. And, you know, I was the friend that always had the money and um, myself or Michelle Mills, because, you know, Papa Tom would always, you know, make sure to throw us a 20 here or there. And <laughs> that could go a long ways with us girls. Oh, yeah. What's what what did you aspire to be when you were growing up? What What did you dream about being? Not a politician. <laughs> what what I'll tell you just my my side of things I mean just I I think back to it it's like when I was a kid I wanted to be a garbage man because you get to ride in the back of the garbage truck or a fireman because you get to ride on a fire truck so uh my my uh my dreams and aspirations were uh pretty much just riding on trucks so I'm in a whole different world now but what what did what did you dream about being when you were a kid You know I don't I don't really remember having this one thing that I wanted to be, you know, I wasn't like I wanted to be a movie star or, you know, or anything like that. I, we moved around a lot. My mom remarried um, Jack Reagan when I was six. Uh, So we were just always kind of moving. And um, I I don't know if it was because I just didn't have a, a base or a long-term place to live um, that made me feel unsettled. You know, I often think about, um, I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. Uh, as as I grow older and as I, you know, move different places or do different things, I want to be somebody different. I want to do something different. So I feel good that I've never locked myself into one position or, or profession because I'm not disappointed. And, you know, still, this is not where I end. Um, you know, I'm not going to be a lifetime legislator, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know what the next step is, you know, looking at my background, I've been in insurance, I've been in real estate. I love the food and beverage industry. I always tell my husband someday I'm going to, I'm going to own a little place, you know, a little, you know, quaint little bar. And he says, well, that'll be the day we get divorced. And (laughs) I come from a long line of tavern owners with my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And um, it's just, I just love people. So anything that I, do now or I do later uh, will be because of people. So I guess I'm in the I'm in the people business, and I love to learn from them and their experiences. Well, we're we're all in the people business. I I own an IT staffing company, and I really look at 
everything that I've done, you know, playing in bands, doing all that. I mean, playing in bands is what took me out of Mount Carroll, Savannah, Clinton, Quad Cities, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, thank God for those people skills that that instilled in me because, you know, I booked the band, I went out and performed in the bands and you have to make people happy just the same as running a business, whether it's uh, a bar, a restaurant, whatever it is, you got to have those people skills and have to have uh, public service, you know, right. which is just going out and making people happy. So no matter what it is you're doing, you got to be and doing accept and accept it when you don't make them happy. Well, yeah, exactly. And when you yeah. don't make them happy, you have to accept it and try to make it right somehow, whether it's, whether it's actually fixing the problem or not, mostly in where you're at in politics. I mean, I can't wait to get into some of the stuff we're going to talk about because I can't even imagine, you know, in, in my business, if something gets screwed up, it's easy for us to take care of it and fix it in your business. I mean, that's a whole different deal. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So when you left Savannah, did you, you graduated from Savannah high school? Yep, I graduated from Savannah and then went to Western and Macomb. Okay. So what did you study uh, when you went to Western? Well, when I initially went, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, and now looking back, I'm thinking, why did I not be a teacher? And then COVID hits and I'm thinking, thank God I'm not a teacher. <laughs> uh, so there again, good thing I didn't lock myself in. Um, but I discovered pretty quickly uh, while I was there that uh, teaching probably wasn't going to be for me. Uh, ended up getting uh, just a liberal arts, I shouldn't say just, I got a liberal arts degree, Bachelor of Arts, and I had concentrations in marketing and sociology. So, you know, kind of hand in hand, you know, with people. Yeah. Uh, and then I went right away uh, from Western, moved to Peoria and was in banking. And that's kind of really where it all started. And because banking pays so well uh, for a graduate of college, I actually still had to, you know, wait tables and still do that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, when I was reading your questionnaire, it said that uh, some idiot passed you up for promotions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's when I moved back to Savannah. Uh, who, who, who was the person who passed you up for promotions? Let's get this person out there. Yeah. I, no, no cancel culture here. You know, I don't actually, uh, it was at MetLife when I was in Freeport uh, and I was passed for promotion. And uh, I thought, well, my mom always taught me to say something if you're unhappy. So I did. And I said, hey, I deserve that promotion. They're like, well, you're right. But somebody else got it and gave me a $5,000 a year raise. So I'm like, well, that's cool. I can do that. And then the promotion came up again, like six months later for another part of the MetLife. And uh, I, I didn't get it. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, so I just said, you know what? I'm quitting. And I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, I'm going to open up a restaurant. She said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're not. I go, yes, I am. She goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. And she said, okay, I'll do it with you. And I said, good, <laughs> because you're the cook. <laughs> so that's when we started Cafe Blue. And then, and then eventually the, the Blue Bed and Breakfast. And then it was really, then I'm self-employed, right? Everything I do is my own success or my own demise. And uh, I, 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 it'd be real hard for me to go back to the corporate world now. Yes. Real hard. So the... Where was Cafe Blue at? I mean, that must have been after I took off and got out of the area. Yeah, it was in the 300 block. So just a couple down from Ingalls is probably what you would remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right next to the old Ben Franklin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was it Ben Franklin? Or Yeah, it was Ben Franklin. Yeah, there was, a, we were... there was a dime store there. Yeah, yep. 
Yeah, See, in, in my in my mind's eye, it's all still there. <laughs> I, I go back there and I see Savannah now, and I'm just like, oh my god! I just I look at where Thulin's used to be. I look where the upper deck used to be. I look at all these different things, and it's just like I'm only back there for five or six days at a time now. So in my mind's eye, it's still all the same way it used to be when I used to drive around in a circle in Savannah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, Dana Haynes, who, Dana Chris, I, who you know, yep. uh, she's turning 50. And so we've been chit-chatting about her birthday. And, you know, I said, well, you know, she, she uh, likes the VFW, uh, but, you know, we could go to BIMS and some of them are, who, where, BIMS? Well, Schroeder's. Well, that's not <laughs> Schroeder's anymore. It's, you know, <laughs> got to keep up. So. Well, there used to be, remember down the hill? From Schroeder's used to be Betty Mom's. Yes, yes, that is oh. no longer there. No, no, that, that's that. That was no longer there when I was still there. But that was interesting place. Yeah, I I think I went in there maybe once when I was real little. Uh, my mom was in there. I I don't remember exactly, but um, all I I remember was, or maybe it was Jeans Oasis. I don't remember, but all I know is Mom said hide. Cause kids couldn't be in the bar. And I remember I had to sit at her feet underneath like of a coat until the mayor <laughs> left. Uh, so, that's fine. You know. uh, the good old days. Oh, the, those, those were fun days. I mean, I, I looked at the population of Savannah and uh, I, I was really surprised to see back in 1950, there's over 5,000 people that lived in Savannah. Yeah. And if you go to today, it's roughly half. Right. And uh, it, I didn't realize it, and you probably didn't either as we were going through school and high school, but the decline of Savannah, Mount Carroll, that whole area was going on while we were graduating from high school. Right. You know, and it's like my, my dad, Rich Zink, he was laid off or fired or whatever happened to him out at Woods because he was a salaried worker. You know, he went into a deep, dark depression. And I know a lot of people went through the same kind of stuff because the railroad went away, the army depot went away. All these things happened all around the same period of time in the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> and it was a tough time for everybody. And, uh, you know, looking back on it now, I can see why it all happened because 2020 is hindsight. Uh, hindsight's 2020. I'm dyslexic, Ed. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting to look because I didn't have a care in the world back then and it was just like i swear to god i would just go down to savannah drive around in a circle i put my drums in the back of my car so people knew i was a drummer <laughs> and cool. it just had to be cool um <laughs> and i couldn't be any more uncool if i tried um but you know it was it was such a great place to grow up and yeah. uh, i really look at all of the people that we grew up with around there and all the parents, I mean, the community around that area is, um, is amazing, or it was amazing. I, I don't know today, but when we grew up in the you know, 80s and 90s, everybody looked out for everybody else's kids. You know, the door was always open. Never lock the door because you never know when a neighbor's going to need something out of your house. Right. You know, it was that kind of thing. And, you know, since then, I've lived in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I've been in California. And you just don't see that kind of thing anymore. Does it still exist back there? I think it does. I think, you know, in the Midwest and, and maybe I'm only speaking about the Midwest is because it's what I know. But around that same time, a lot of small communities, you know, still today, I just had a I had lunch in, in Albany the other day and 
um, uh, one of the guys was saying, I remember, and this is Albany, um, when there was five gas stations and I was like, huh? And, you know, or Sterling Rock Falls area when they, when they lost the steel mill, uh, so many things changed in our industry. And I think, I think what we, what our parents did and, and, and their parents did just assumed all of that was never going to go away and everything was always going to be here. Savannah was always going to have the army depot, was always going to have a hospital, uh, was always going to have the population. So we didn't have to consolidate schools. Uh, and that happened all over the Midwest. And, uh, I think, I think we as adults, um, see probably a little too late. Um, that we need to be reinventing ourselves and reinventing jobs and, um, you know, doing things differently than the baby boomers did. And um, I think it'll, the community is definitely still here. I think you find it more with sports families uh, because they spend a lot more time together uh, or folks that maybe still go on the river. You know, Kurt and I, we camp at Seven Eagles. And so we have like a little, there's a camping community um, there's so definitely there is, and um, we always lock our doors. So if you ever need a bowl of sugar, you know, <laughs> but it, it, you know, I think that's still here. It's just not like it was when we were kids, you know, you know, we had with their cell phones now, you know, our parents never knew where they were, but they knew that somebody else's parent wasn't going to hesitate to give us lunch or to whip our butts if we were misbehaving. Right. Um, now that that piece is gone and I don't know if that it would ever will ever come back, which is really a shame because like you said, we felt so free, you know, don't come back till the streetlights come on, um, you know, or, you know, be gone all day. Otherwise we're going to put you to work. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, but I think community is certainly still here. Uh, but also the sadness of the, the, you know, the, where we were and we just gotta, we gotta get over that and just, okay, move on. What's next. Yeah. And the big lesson, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because the big lesson I learned from what my dad went through was to never let something like that happen to myself, pull myself up by the bootstraps, get your ass to work, go do something else. It doesn't really matter. And you know, what we found out later is that he, he and some of the parts of the zinc family dealt with depression and it was untreated, you know? So it's like a lot of those uh, guys that were that age, I don't need a pill. I don't need that. That's, that's, that's pussy stuff. I don't want that, you know? And funny story is my mom later on, dad was dealing with diabetes and, uh, you know, he was a curmudgeon, old son of a bitch. And, uh, he's sitting there and it, my mom talks to the doctor and says, you know, this is what I'm dealing with as far as his depression. Doctor's like, well, I can give him this, just put it in with his pills. So, he takes these new cocktail of pills with this one extra one in there. And I'm living in Minneapolis and St. Paul at the time. He calls me up one day. My dad never called me. I always called him. And I answered the phone. He goes, well, hello, young man. I'm like, who in the hell is this? You know, all of a sudden he had this extra pill and he had his happy juice, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's just, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty eye-opening just to hear that other person after he had what he needed. Right. But uh, just, what you talked about was great for anybody who's listening to this or watching this right now. If anything happens where you lose your job or something goes on, it ain't that bad. Move on, pick yourself up, say a prayer, talk to someone. There's many, many people in this world that'll help you out if you just ask. That's 
That's right. That's right. I remember uh, Michelle Mills uh, and I used to work together doing real estate appraisals. And then all of a sudden, and I, and actually there was seven appraisers that we had in the suburbs and in Chicago too. And then the, the real estate crash came and then all of a sudden it was me and Michelle. And I said, Michelle, I said, either we separate and go our own ways or you and I stay together and we're going to have to figure out something else to do. And she's like, well, let's stay together. You know, misery loves company. So, I mean, literally we, um, cleaned toilets, uh, painted houses, did stuff around people around Savannah, you know, did all, we still appraised, but we didn't have the, the number of work, you know, the, uh, orders coming in like we used to with the crash. And, um, that's just it. I mean, we're, we're, st we still have bills to pay. Um, so you're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. And we did. we did. Well, you, after when you were in real estate appraisals, you also got your real estate license too. So you're, um, an agent. Yeah. And I still do. I think they call us a, now a broker We're brokers now, not just agents, but yeah. And I still do both of those things right now. So I do, um, obviously with, with, uh, uh, the state position, it's really hard. I, you know, I used to do 20 to 30 appraisals a month. Um, now I'm, oof, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to get nine to 12 done. Um, but you know, we still have, you know, we still are owned by our house and our debt. Uh, so we still have to, you know, do all those extra things. So. Well, soon after that, you, uh, for the city council, you were elected to the city council, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I had, uh, the cafe, I found myself getting involved in the chamber, which, you know, we did a lot of things with businesses on main street and, uh, community events and, uh, found myself getting more interested in local municipal government. So I ran for council and then I moved literally one house away and had to move out of my ward and then was reappointed again. <laughs> and through that is when I actually ran for mayor. Um, there was a, a vote in a committee, a finance committee meeting on a Tuesday morning uh, Tuesday evening, the vote was changed different than what they said. And I raised my hand and, um, I was called on and I said, mayor, I'm curious. That's not what the committee voted on this morning. And I wasn't on the committee. I was just there, you know, just there. And, and he said, welcome to the world of politics. And I thought, no, not in Savannah. We not in Savannah. We can't do that in Savannah, Illinois, of all places. We're nonpartisan. No, when I'm not. And so I, I just decided to run and I could just hear my mom in my head. Just, you know, don't complain, do something about it. And then ultimately that's how I got into this gig. Well, what was, uh, so what years were you mayor of Savannah? Okay. So I was elected in 2016. I started 2016. So that would have been 2012. Okay. Um, and what was your proudest moment? of something that uh, happened in Savannah while you were mayor? Oh boy, the proudest moment. That's not on my questionnaire, John. <laughs> you can't have everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know. I think one of the things that I did that no mayor has ever done and hasn't done since is I was, I voted. So I have no vote as the mayor, but I voted on everything that we did because I wanted people to know if I'm going to lead this community, I want everybody to know 
how I feel, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand behind the mayor position. Um, everybody's gonna know how I feel. So I went on the record for every vote, just like every council person. And uh, also not knowing I'd be running for the House of Representatives because those votes were used against me in political <laughs> people. Uh, but I felt really good that I was transparent about that. Um, one of my big things was community cleanup. So we were able to tear down, I think about 15, 15 houses uh, using um, grants and uh, houses that some hadn't been occupied since the 70s. And you'd have the broken window syndrome and it just doesn't, it just doesn't help. It doesn't help people around them be excited. Uh, so for me, it was really beautification of our, our, our town um, because negativity draws negativity. Ugliness draws ugliness. Um, so I, that was just one of my big things. Probably one of my funniest things uh, because I was also uh, kind of strong on ordinances and people that didn't mow their lawn really ticked me off. So I had a little, like a little four by, talk about shaming and cancel culture. Here, here I am. Uh, I had like a little four by four and it said, uh, please mow your lawn. Thanks, Mayor McCombie. And I'd stick it in their yard and I'd take a picture <laughs> of it. And I would <laughs> put it on Facebook. <laughs> but you wouldn't see the, their numbers. So, so you, you, know, you started cancel culture. I did it. Uh, But, you know, people weren't paying their fines and they weren't mowing their lawns. And so I was like, well, their neighbors sure did appreciate it. I would, I would, I would too. Come on, mow your lawn. Yeah. But I think probably the, I mean, of course we did great things. We had, we had some great infrastructure projects. You know, I was the, the fourth mayor to actually, uh, uh, be involved with the, the rebuilding of, or the building of the new bridge Yeah. Um, for the, I was, I think the second mayor for the new wastewater treatment plan. I mean, so we spent, uh, you know, a lot of money, things that take a lot of people in a lot of years. So that's parts of some pretty big infrastructure, um, that I'm pretty proud of too. Well, it's really nice to drive across that bridge and not worry about hitting on oncoming cars or the side of the bridge. Like we used to have to. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. And and 74 down in the Quad Cities is going to be really nice, too. Yeah, well, it's a, a lot of people, a lot of people out here in California are going to be wondering about where we're talking about. So Savannah is right on the Mississippi River and uh, just down from Savannah in Thompson, Illinois, right between those two is the widest part of the Mississippi River. So it's in parts, it's like a mile wide uh, going across there between the river and the backwaters. So talk about a picturesque place to grow up in and live in. Um, and right up the, about two or three miles uh, north of Savannah is the Palisades Park. And it's just, they, they call it a sportsman's paradise because everything you can imagine to do around there. In the summertime, everybody's in their boats, going up the Mississippi, getting on a sandbar, enjoying themselves on the beaches, on the sandbars, um, and then going hunting, going fishing, do whatever you want to. <clears throat> and it's just a, it's an amazing place. Of course, I didn't realize that until I moved away. And then I come back and look at it and go, my God, this is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We don't uh, unfortunately go on the river as much as we used to, uh, you know, life gets busy also, you know, uh, restrictions on that drinking and driving stuff, you know, kind of, 
you know, stops a little bit of that too, but we certainly do still enjoy it. And there's still a core group, you know, flat bottom boats. Um, people in California probably call them John boats. It's still, it's still a thing. We still make fun of people with pointy boats and inboard motors. You know, the, the people from Chicago that come out, you know, the bass holes. Um, <laughs> you know. So that's still, that's still all there, you know. Well, that was, uh, I don't remember what age I was, but uh, Gary and Wendy Harkness are my aunt and uncle. And uh, they were part of the, what was it called? The Backwater. Back Alley Boat Club. Back Alley Boat Club. That's still a thing, man. That's What's that? That's still a thing. It is? Yeah, we had koozies made a couple summers ago. Well, I remember um, one of the Richie boys uh, would take his boat down to the marina and put the boat all the way back and just create this huge wake going up through there. And it was awesome. I think that was probably Joey. Joey oh, yeah. Ritchie. Yeah, Joey Ritchie. Yep. Um, but uh, there was also one time they had, uh, what was his name? Uh, Spike at the mic was the DJ who was down in the Quad Cities. They did this float thing where they went up by Bellevue, and then everybody just tied together their boats and then just floated down, and he actually um, DJed live on the boat coming down the river. I was a kid. I don't know. Six, seven years old, something like that. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because it was at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it still would be cool. It still would be cool. Oh, yeah. We take a, usually a boat trip in July. Um, they've done it for years. We missed out on several of them. Um, but, we, you know, actually, we went all the way up to the pool, the first pool uh, where the St. Croix and the Mississippi meet, actually. And, and I remember we're all in our boats, you know, and, um, probably 20, 25 John boats. And they got some really nice boats up there. And, you know, that's where you see, you know, women wearing khaki pants and white button ups and wearing bright white kids on the Mississippi river. And they're like looking down at us and what are you, what are you guys doing? Are you clam diggers? Just <laughs> um, no, here socially. Uh, so I, re- I remember when we were kids, but my dad's last tour, we moved to Wasilla, Alaska, which is kind of funny because. It's oh yeah. Years. Man, I live up there. And so we, we camped that whole entire summer on the river. And mom and dad would come into town for supplies, uh, also known as Jeans Oasis. Um, you know, and uh, one day the, the boat broke. We couldn't. My dad's like, well, I don't know what to do. We're going to have to stick one of you kids on a, on a tube to go float and go get us some help. And we're way, we're way beyond Santa Fe. And my older brother, Kelly, and my younger brother, Michael, they're like, I'm not getting on there. So they stick me on there. Here I am, you know, in seventh grade and put me on a, on a inner tube. And dad says, well, go float and get us some help. Okay. <laughs> down the river I go, you know, put a big old orange life jacket on. I, I did pretty well until I started thinking about, you know, probably a good half hour into it thinking, is Jaws in this water? You know, <laughs> start doing that to yourself a little yeah. bit. But. Freshwater shark. Yeah. Yeah. Big old catfish. <laughs> so, you know, since you're in the position you're in now in the House of Representatives, um, how do you, and I know this is one of the things that you're probably thinking about all the time, but how do you change things in Northwest Illinois so people don't have to leave because I mean, I would have loved to have stayed there my whole life. Uh, but I really look back on it and I had to get out. 
um, just because of um, my situation. There's just there was no there, there would have been a way for me to make money, but uh, looking back on it, I wouldn't have been able to have the life that I've got right now if I would have stayed. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if I would have got sober if I would have stayed there. You know, which is one of the biggest blessings in my life. But, uh, you know, I, I really learned how to drink back there. And, well, uh, you know, look at our communities. I mean, it's not so much now, but I think Savannah at the highlight had 21 bars. I mean, Mount Carroll, how many people live in Mount Carroll? And um, even now, I think there's still one, two, three, four, five places to, you know, go to. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, it was a part of our lives. Oh, big time. Know? And uh, it, it, it's very easy. I mean, I come from, you know, alcoholics and it's uh, have an addictive uh personality for sure and you have to just decide what you're going to become an addict of and and for me it's it's been to try to make change and um to start when i wake up and to and to finish when i lay down um and it's it's constant and it's exhausting it really is and when you ask it you know how, how do you make change here i think the best thing that i can do in illinois um to, as a Republican, as a conservative, uh, more so fiscally conservative than anything. I think the, the thing that I can do is to get more people engaged in the process because we're always going to have Chicago. So for some reason, you can't get uh, conservatives or even uh, fiscally conservative moderates to vote outside of the, the Democrat Party here. Uh, I don't know, you know, how to change that other than to get more people engaged, um, and to have conversations, um, that don't, you know, entail anger. Um, I look very hard for, for facts. Um, I was just on a, an interview yesterday and, uh, I looked up the, the, the um, guy who was interviewing me asked me a question and gave me a source that he wanted me to comment on. And I'm like, mm. I looked for three other sources to make sure that source was good. And I referenced that, you know, I looked up three sources and uh, uh, because I feel for me to make change is to inspire people to get involved and to do so with truth and patience. And if you don't do that, then all, all you're going to get is just people that are just going to complain. They're going to be mad. And I got to tell you, I learned this lesson very young. Um, I was married before. I don't know if you remember that or not. And I don't. Not until you sent me your questionnaire. I'm like, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would complain about my situation to my girlfriends. And there's eight of us girls, you know, that all paddled around and still are on a text. And I, I would complain and I would get that all off my chest and I'd walk away and I'd be like, yeah, I feel good. I got all that energy off me, you know. But I left it all with them. And so every time I'd want to be like, okay, we're going to try this again. We're going to figure out this marriage, right? It'd be like, what are you talking about? He's the worst. No, we're not doing that again. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? I feel good. Everything's fine. Um, and so I learned that very early that, that, that negativity just feeds negativity. So I, yeah, you can get rid of it, but where you put it can really cause some harm. And that's kind of what you see a lot now, right? In politics as well and in business, even when you're just talking about, you know, if, 
if somebody's ticked off, they're going to call up and say, hey, ABC Factory just did this to me. Well, well, we're canceling them. Yeah. Come on. You know, that's that's not how we that's not who we are. That's not what we do. You know, let's ask questions. Find out why people do what they do, say what they say. And so for me, I think that's the biggest thing is just to try to inspire people to get more involved, do the research and to, you know, that's that's how you're only in Illinois. You're going to make change. And if I don't sit here in this seat, uh, I'm in a Democrat district, uh, somebody who 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 will vote very differently than I believe the district wants um, will sit here. And then then I'll really be unhappy. (laughs) Yeah. I think that uh, uh, an important thing that you talked about is truth, um, data. I mean, data, science. I mean, it's, it's very easy now with the internet for people to put out false everything. You know, just garbage data that's not real at all. And like right. you said, you've got to have two or three other sources to figure out if what you're reading in the first place is, is actually real. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like they, they make these things look very convincing that what you are reading is a real article from a real source. And then by the time you get done with it, you've just ingested a bunch of garbage. That's right. That's right. Well, and I took a statistics class when I went back to get my master's. Uh, it was the first time I took statistics because it, quite honestly, it scared the crap out of me when I was in, in undergrad. And, and I was like, I'm never taking that. But it's amazing how that class taught me how you can manipulate data to benefit any scenario you want it to do. So whether you throw in the word, um, you know, an average or a median or just leave out a word, you know, it, it really is amazing. And I think a lot of people um, have taken, you know, COVID information um, to advance their narrative, uh, whether it's good or it's bad. Uh, but I, I just don't I just don't think that's right. I, I I'm fine with any narrative as long as it's truthful. And then I can decide as a, as a person, uh, what is best for me and what is best for my family. Yeah, I agree. There's uh <clears throat> California has been shut down. I don't know for how many months now. And, uh, 316 days I go out and I go hiking. I take my son out. You know, when I go into a grocery store, I wear a mask and it's just like, I do what I'm supposed to do. But it's like if I'm walking on a hiking trail, I'm not going to get sick. No one else is going to get sick. I'm outside for Christ's sake, you know, and it's like there's no data to back up half the things that are being fed to us. It's just emotional crap to push some kind of agenda. And it's like, no, uh, let me be free to make a decision for myself if I want to take a risk. I should be able to calculate a risk and live my life. Right, you know, I don't, right. I shouldn't have the right to put somebody else's life at risk, but it's my life. I went to, uh, uh, one of the things that was brought up about this uh, interview I did yesterday was how Wisconsin and Iowa have, have less restrictions um, compared to Illinois and they have less of a death rate compared to Illinois per 100,000 people. So when you close down, you know, initially it was, we're going to go to 50% capacities and let's say bars and restaurants or retail, some retail, we're going to shut down really small mom and pop retail, but keep Walmarts and Target. Oh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Yeah. When in our small town, you might have one or two people in a store at a time that's, you know, 
5,000 square feet. But any hoot. Um, so I said, you know, so you went down to 50% capacity for these bars and restaurants and retail spaces. And then all of a sudden you shut them down. No enforcement. So some people are like, well, I'm either going to shut down because I have no business and I can't afford to pay anything, not my mortgage, not my lights, not my licenses. So I'm either shutting down that way or I'm going to risk getting my license pulled or getting a ticket from the state of Illinois, uh, which they couldn't do because they didn't put in enforcement mechanisms. So it was really kind of on the honor system. So then you might have had 10, let's say you had 10 restaurants in a community and only two of them are going to be open. Well, everybody's going to go to those two rather than keeping everybody open at the 50% would have helped, I think, spread out the, the people. And when you only were proving that 2% of all people infected came from bars and restaurants, eh, you know, why are we closing them down? Yeah. What, you know, what's, what's the actual goal? That's, that's what I'd love to know. What's it, is it to put everybody on uh, national income? Is it, you know, th- there's all kinds of things that I'm just wondering behind the scenes. It's like, what are you actually going for here? You know, because yeah. the data is not that you're trying to save lives. Because if you look at the actual data, that's not what's happening. Right. Well, and I think obviously when this all started, we were all like, what in the heck? Oh, yeah, we didn't. I was scared shitless. I got a new baby at home. I'm like, all right, we're going to our Tahoe house. We're locking ourselves in there. We're never coming out until this is gone. You know, that lasted about five days. I'm like, all right, this ain't going to work. Let's go back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and I think the intent is, is, is good to have people not infected, have our elderly, which is really the issue, mm-hmm. um, be protected. But we've done a really crappy job at that. Um, and most of the time, those folks weren't the ones, you know, in our nursing home and long care, you know, facilities, they weren't the ones shopping in our small places. They weren't the ones out and about eating. And then you have the issues of the, you know, for the um, for Thanksgiving, Kurt had to work and the moose was delivering food. And I thought, you know what? Because I didn't do Thanksgiving. I, you know, usually that's my holiday. And I, I was like, I'm going to go to the moose and I'm going to deliver food, you know, and go run around and do that. Oh my gosh, it was so depressing. I thought it was going to lift my heart. It dumped it right down the drain. I mean, because these people that typically would be eating in fellowship with their other people at the moose, and not a lot, maybe 50 people, they're all alone, all by themselves. Yeah. And I, like I was bombed. It was it was a bummer. Here's there it is. There she is. You're still great friends with many of the girls you went to high school with. Yeah, I am. So yeah. uh, I, I always see pictures of all of you girls on uh, all, all of your different Facebook feeds and stuff, and uh, it's really a great group of people. So you were talking before about uh, what Seven Eagles is the name of the place. Yeah, yep, yep. That's McMorphy's. Well, Ruth just passed, right? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Oh, that, was, that was horrible. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Great woman. And uh, she was a trooper, though. She, she fought to the very end, that's for sure. I bet she did. She was another spicy one. <laughs> you know? That is spicy as my mom. She did it, like, Ruth did it in a way was like, was, did she just, like, you know, yell at me? And I yeah. didn't even. She, she's like stealthy, spicy. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. But uh, no, I, I always uh, see all the pictures of you 
uh, all you girls and uh, just kind of puts a smile on my face because it, it takes me back to the upper deck when I was playing in my band Shyster and you guys would be out there dancing and stuff, you know, and it's just, it, that was such a good group of people. Um, not just you guys, but I remember all of those people down there. It was just such a fun group. And uh, I, I miss those days because that was fun. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Yeah. And I still, you know, like I said, you know, we still have a text chain and, you know, it's, it's, it literally is like, we're still in junior high. I mean, the things that come out, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it really is a blessing. You know, when we went to college uh, at Western, a lot of us went to Western and we were known as the Savannah girls. And when you're, when you're talking to other people, you know, like from the suburbs and bigger communities, they might have one or two friends that are really close. I mean, these eight women know every, I mean, everything about <laughs> And uh, no, they can't be bought off people, but uh, <laughs> it's just, it, it's a blessing to know that I have that support and um, even the support of their parents. I mean, I think about, you know, Tracy Brown, Tracy Hass, you know, Penny and Keith Brown. I mean, they, they, they helped me through college and still a big part of my life. You know, I don't, I don't have, I have Kurt's parents, of course, but to have somebody that, you know, you know, if, if Kurt and I were to get into a, a fight or something, not that this has ever happened, but it, I mean, if it did, I could go down there and say, I'm sleeping on your couch tonight. And Penny would be like, no, no, we're putting you in your old spare bedroom. You know, <laughs> so it's just nice to still have family and, and knowing that any one of those girls as parents are still, you know, here for us, you know, Ruth James and Janine Mills and you know, Becky, Chris, I, everybody, they're still, they're, they're right here all for us. Well, it goes back to what we talked about before, which is how special that community is. Yeah. Um, so one other thing I want to talk about is your brother, Kelly, big Vikings fan, which I'm a big fan of. And uh, him, and, him and I are always uh, going back and forth on Facebook because our miserable Vikings are shitty again this year. But uh, who do you follow? Well, um well, I'm just going to say the only clothing I have for football is Detroit Lions. So that's a Kurtz, a diehard Lions fan. And there's probably less of them than there are Vikings fans. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, re I remember the Vikings. My dad was a huge Vikings. My dad, Pat, was a huge Vikings oh, was he? fan. And um, so I've always, always remembered that. So I always thought I was a Vikings fan. But then Kurt's like, you can't be a Vikings fan. You're a Lions fan. So... Um, so I guess I'm a Lions fan, but if I go to a Bears game and they're playing, I'm, I'm fair weather. I'll just go wherever they're having a good time. You know, I don't care. Who inspires you the most in your life? And this can be more than just one person, but who, who, are, who are the people that really inspire you in your life to do what you do? Well, he's just walking out the door to go to work. Bye, uh, Kurt. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say certainly Kurt has been, uh, you know, you always take advantage or take for granted um, your spouse. You just do. You don't mean to, but you do. Um, being self-employed prior to politics, um, he was part of the team. He was, you know, he would cook and clean and help out at the restaurant. Um, politics is definitely a team sport uh, to be having your spouse's views challenged, um, your wife to be called names. Um, it's hard. It's hard on the spouse. So I, he certainly inspires me with his patience. Um, he's also a, a fact finder. 
Um, so if I ever say something online or do something out, he'll be like, okay, Georgia, quit exaggerating. <laughs> um, so he definitely does motivate me and, and, you know, makes me realize how important family is. And uh, also, like I was just talking about a little bit ago, Penny and Keith Brown, um, people that aren't my blood parents uh, who help continues to, to lift me up. I, I think that is instrumental. The, the sense of community that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, I, I think certainly is important. Um, and my girls, I mean, I, I have some really crappy days. I think like we all do, and you got to have somebody that you can just call and just cry and, and flip out and, um, dump that negativity on and have people remind you what you're, what you're doing, what you're doing for a good purpose. So I, I am surrounded by, you know, my, my brothers and are, are great. And I just, I feel really blessed. I, I feel really blessed that I could leave this earth today. God willing, that doesn't happen, but very blessed and with the people around me. Well, where does, uh, where's Kelly live at? He's over in Bellevue. He's in Bellevue. Now, yeah. does, do they have a bunch of kids? <laughs> yeah. So Kelly had two girls and his, his uh, wife, Stephanie, they had four boys. So they have six. I know. It's like the, the Brady Bunch. Every time yeah. I see a picture for like a holiday or something, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And they're all busy. Every one of them are sportos. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So they're all involved in sports and um, now getting older with uh having a license so everybody's got a job and yeah so it's they're busy they're very busy well, i remember kelly was a big uh sportsman guy i remember playing basketball against him and he would run my ass ragged oh don't tell him that if he watches this then he'll be like yeah, oh, that's we're, we're, we're a whole different body style it's okay he's like a gazelle i'm like an elephant it's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, he still looks like that too you know he he delivers mail in savannah so he walks several miles a day but yeah so what was the most notable event in your life that led you to where you are today? Oh, uh, probably um, one. You always want me to pinpoint one thing. I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily one thing per se, uh, but failing at something has made me stronger. I've, I've failed at business, failed at a marriage. Uh, uh, yeah, I think failure probably is the most notable thing that has, in the end, lifted me up to make me successful, truly. And I know that sounds kind of weird, um, but I, I, I tell that when I'm, when I'm out and about and I'm talking to kids even, um, letting myself fail, taking risks, uh, letting yourself be vulnerable, um, really, I think, has rounded a lot of my experiences. So to say that there's one thing um, that has happened, um, I probably can't give you one thing, but failing is probably, failing at several things is probably. Well, I think that uh, you're right on the money because I don't know if it's the failure, but it's the teachings or the lessons that you learn from the failure. Yeah. If you're smart enough to, um, yeah. that will really define where you go. So, I mean, the, the person that you've become today is, you know, the culmination of all of those lessons that you learned from all of those failures. 
because I've had a shit ton of failures in my life. Yeah. And they all lead us, if we learn from them, right. to a great place. Right. You know, if we make the mistake to keep on um, making those mistakes again and again and again, well, you know, that, that also led me down a dark path of alcoholism because I made those mistakes day in and day out. And then all of a sudden, you know, God blessed me with a day to wake the fuck up. And, you know, here I am six and a half years later, happy, talking to a friend of mine who, you know, is back in, you know, my hometown and my stomping grounds. You know, and I couldn't be more proud of you for what you've done. It really is a cool thing. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. I never thought that in a million years uh, that this is, this is where I would be. And, you know, I have to wonder, you know, what's next? I mean, but don't we all, you know, and now, and now you have your, you know, your boy and you're like, what's next? Well, the funny thing is the exact next question that I've got for you is what's next? I swear to God, it's number 31. What's next? I don't think that was on my questionnaire either. (laughs) You know, I don't know. So we're in in Illinois with the census. We're through a remap. Um, So most likely Savannah will be mapped out of my district. So uh, Kurt and I have made the decision that if that is the case, we will move into the next uh, district. Um, But the house has been... um, enjoyable. Um, I will tell you it's not as enjoyable, uh, year five as it was year two, uh, year one. I won't count because it was just like trying to figure everything out. Um, the narrative is so toxic. I, I see why, you know, most people, and I know people talk about term limits, most people in the house and the Senate in Illinois, um, six to eight years tops. And I, I get it because it's, it's tough. Uh, so I don't know. I, I I don't foresee myself going into the Senate because nothing happens in Illinois unless it's in the House. Uh, the downfall is, is that you have to run every two years. So like literally I was sworn in in January this couple weeks ago. I'll get my petitions this September to get on the ballot for next year. Oh, my gosh. So, so we're always kind of campaigning. You know, yeah. But that also keeps you accountable. Um and I think that's good. People get lazy in this position. And um, as a state rep, you you have no time to get lazy if you're doing your job right. So, so where I, where would uh, where would Savannah go if uh, it was moved out? Probably up into uh, the 89, up Chesney's district. We'd probably, you know, Mount Carroll used to be in my district and it, they'll probably just suck Savannah into it. So I think, you know, I love municipal government. I could see myself going into an administration position. Um, I just really love municipal government. Uh, But to be a mayor, um, you know, like I said, there's no vote and you can, you can lead and you can craft, but I think uh, administration, I could see myself doing that. Um, You never know if a, if a, the right restaurant or the right business came knocking on my door. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, you know, I, I think I have an entrepreneurial spirit. So I'm always, I'm always searching for um, not even the next thing that's going to make me money, but the thing that's going to help me grow. And I know that sounds cheesy and stupid, um, but it's true. I mean, I, there was a, a foreclosed little motel in Fulton right there along the highway I stopped and looked at it. I'm like, this would be a really cool job. 
you know, because I had my bed and breakfast and, you know, not even thinking about what the income was going to be. It's just, you know, a way to meet new people, um, people not from our area. Uh, right. So I, I don't know, but I could see municipal government for sure. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I well, have no interest in federal. Just uh, just keep on doing the next right thing and uh, it, it'll all work itself out. It you does, know? right? It yeah. does. Talk to me about some of the bills that you're working on right now, because uh, you guys have been out since COVID hit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went, so we got March 20th, we were done. Um, so we went back in May for the budget and some COVID bills. Then we just went back for lame duck uh, for several bills. And now we're into the 102nd General Assembly. So now actually we're crafting our bills right now so we can get them filed. And there's several bills that I've had uh, while well, refile almost everything that I had last year because we didn't even get them to go to committee. Uh, but one that's pretty important to me um, is the Pam Knight bill. I'm not sure if you're familiar, a DCFS worker was killed in um, our area in Sterling um, by a deranged dad. Um, she was there to check in on the, the two-year-old and uh, she was beat pretty brutally, ended up losing her life. Uh, so there's a bill that I have that we've been trying to get through to, uh, some would say enhance penalties. And if that's what you want to call it, that's fine. I'm fine with enhancing penalties. If anybody who's going to kick a woman in the head and kill her, I'm fine. What with was, what going. was the name? What, that was her name. Pam Knight was her name. Yeah. Pam Knight. Yeah. Um, but he, he went to jail for less time than he probably needed to, uh, because <laughs> they were too afraid. Uh, the family I think was okay with, uh, not okay with it, but, uh, agreed to not fight the, them settling his terms, um, because they were afraid he'd get off because, you know, the question becomes, did she die when her head hit the curb? So did the curb kill her or was it because he kicked her into the curb? You know, and then there's the, he might do less jail time. Well, at this point, I mean, the family wanted him to go to jail forever. Um, and so there it's, it's what they call an enhancement and fine. If they want to call it an enhancement of penalties, um, I'm a big fan. I, I think anybody that does that to a, anybody, um, but especially a woman who's there to protect a child, um, he needs to go away for a long, long time. Yeah. And if I can help put him there longer then I'm, I'm willing to do that. Uh, I've got some uh, fiscal bills um, to help lower uh, levels of government, uh, save on some taxes, uh, things like that, that we'll, we'll see. You know, they're not real popular here in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't file them. It doesn't mean you don't file them. Um, the, we had a huge uh, police criminal justice reform bill. They, they labeled it as, but it really is a, a detriment to our law enforcement throughout the state. Um, it was a really bad bill. Um, not saying there wasn't some good pieces to it, but a bad bill, bad ideas all lumped into one big omnibus bill and uh we're gonna have to go back and clean that up um well so like that, just getting rid of policemen or what, what are they doing well one of the things that's good is uh everybody would wear body cams okay we can all get behind that no funding to help with the body cams now the body cam to get the body cam is not necessarily that expensive but to store the body cam is really the footage then to say an officer can't review the 
footage, not even with a supervisor to help write the report. Um, and if you write the report improperly, the officer could be charged with an offense, but they can't, you know, can't go back and look at the report. So that, so that's one thing at, at the footage. Um, there is some more reporting, which I'm fine with. I think that's okay. Um, there is, uh, you could have anonymous uh, complaints and those complaints would stay in your file forever. Uh, there's uh, additional training, which I'm fine with, but no funding. So what you're going to find are small communities like Savannah, Thompson, Mount Carroll, which these small communities are all, all over our state. You have more requirements for funding for with that need funding for reporting, training, and equipment. The state's not willing to offer any additional funding. So the only thing that these small communities can do is one, lose an officer, two, lose their force and combine with the county. And depending on how close you are to the county seat, that can be an issue. Mm -hmm. um, or three, raise property taxes. And Savannah already has the highest tax rate of my whole district. So you can't keep raising property taxes. Yeah. No. So in a way, that's the defunding of the police. I, I don't like it to be called the defunding, but it really is in the, in the scheme of things when you, when you really look at it. Um, criminals, um, home detention, for example. Uh, home detention, you, you can be gone for 12 hours a day so you can go work and do your thing. Um, but let's say you don't come home for 12 hours or 36 hours or 48 hours. You don't get, you don't get called out on it until you're gone 48 hours. So what's, so just what's the point? Detention, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, three strikes you're out rule doesn't start until you're 21. You can go to war at 18, but you can't, you can't smoke in Illinois and you can't drink in Illinois and you really can't be called for a crime until you're 21. But I, it's just crazy stuff. You know, I, 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 there again, the intent is good. They don't want bad officers. Who does? We all, right, we all agree. Um, we want better training. We all agree. Um, we want criminals to have second chances. All agree. Um, it's how you get there in Illinois that always seems to take us down a real bad path. Wow. Well, good luck with all those. Hopefully, yeah. some good outcomes come out of it because that's yeah, I hope so. that's just a, we could go off for an hour about what you just talked about, but I'm not going to. Um, what I'm going to do instead <laughs> is ask you the last question. This is called the True Ambition Podcast. So the True Ambition quote that I took to start this actually comes out of my 12-step program I was in. It says the true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. So when I read that five years ago, because I've always been very ambitious, but earlier in my life, I was very ambitious for other reasons, to make money, to get the girl, to get things, whatever it was. When I read that, it kind of changed my perspective on things. And I see a lot of people who are ambitious that are the same way that kind of change their way of thinking as they get a little older and get more mature. So knowing what you know now, being where you've been, being through the things you've been through, what is your true ambition moving forward, both in your personal life and in your professional life? Mm. I, I think you're spot on there. You know, and, and I, 
I go, one of the things that I always say is give grace, get grace. And so I just want to continue to give uh, in, in any aspect. Uh, and not saying that sometimes I'm not selfish and I don't take. Uh, uh, let's be honest. I mean, we all do that, right? And, um, but that's the real ambition, you know, is, is just to continue to give grace. And I know I'll get that grace back. Um, will that be monetary? Will that be love? Will that be, you know, whatever it is? Yeah, it'll be all those things. So that's my ambition. Awesome. Well, I love it. It's been so great for you to join us today. And yeah. uh, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, my wife and I and Johnny are coming back to that area the March the 9th, I think. March the 9th through the 12th or something like that. So uh, we'll what? definitely- what are you just see family or what? Come back to see family. We're going down to Louisiana to uh, a wedding for Carissa's side of the family. And then we're coming up because mom hasn't seen Johnny in over a year. So going up there and then my grandma, Riva Doty, she turned 90 last May. And we, nobody in the, I haven't seen her since she turned 90. So got to go back and uh, see everybody and eat some Manny's pizza. I hear you. I hear you. I was just uh, on a little trip with the girls for their 50th and first thing, even gone, you know, five days. It's like, you gotta, you gotta come home and you gotta eat Manny's. <laughs> Call it in on the way home from the airport. So. <laughs> well, Tony, thank you so much. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you when you're home. All right. Sounds great. All right. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. And I'll be your protector.